we're in this specific study of exercising spiritual growth. There are things that God has given us to exercise and the way to do it. Um, if you go to some places, they have circuit training and they have total body workouts and they have all these things. And this is basically God's spiritual exercise in the order of doing them so that way we gain the most benefit in our walk with God. And so they're very specific, and we're going to be looking at those. As we do that, you're right, this morning uh, uh, Lyle shared with us that I gave marching orders to the Sunday school class, and that is we have mop-up duty, and if you're in the military, you kind of understand what that means. If you're a janitor, you kind of know what that means as well. Uh, but mop-up duty, or if, and if you're a mom, you kind of know what that means as well. Uh, the, the illustration can go on. Uh, but the parking lot party, that was just the setup. Now the real work begins. And, uh, and that is, we get the opportunity. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people in our community in Ferndale here, and they say, oh, yeah, what church are you at? And I say, oh, First Baptist. Oh, they do the parking lot party. And it gives me an opportunity to share the gospel again. I think this year we, hand, we were able to hand out more tracts than we've had before. I know many of you have taken it personally because you not only just handed out a tract, you said something to the effect of making sure to read it because of the importance of Jesus and the importance of Christ. And so I want to encourage you that it's not over. Our responsibility to share Christ is not over, and it is just beginning. The second and third time of sharing the gospel usually is when they feel the prick of the Holy Spirit. When you read God's Word, if you don't know what to say, just get in there and read God's Word. Some of the craziest verses have led people to Christ. The psalmist said this, the sum of God's word is truth. It's all of God's word that leads to the redemptive understanding of Christ. So don't underestimate the value of God's holy word. I'd like to publicly thank, uh, there's so many people that worked hard, but Stephanie probably outweighed everybody. And uh, so... She doesn't want the thanks and she doesn't want the applause, but I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Stephanie, uh, the rest of us would be lost. So thank you for using your gift uh, to bless the church and to bless many in our, in our community. And that's what it takes. All of us using our different gifts, the different abilities that God gives us to worship the Lord. And so I know that Stephanie didn't do it for recognition she did it using her gifts, and just want to thank you for using your gifts, not just for doing all the hard work, but for being open to letting God use you. Thank you, Stephanie, for that. It was such a blessing and uh, time for that, and, and I want to also remind you, we're going to take an offering, a benevolent offering at the end of, of the message, and so don't be surprised. We do that every, every uh, time we do communion to help those that are in need, and from time to time we do that. 
Um, and so, and God has, uh, God has grown our farm again, once again. We have eight little piglets running around. And so um, uh, that's our benevolent offering. We use those to spread uh, all sorts of bacon and sausage. And <laughs> so uh, I have just, uh, uh, I have to be honest with you. I have some, I found out I have some real issues and I have to have some counseling. I'm, I'm schizophrenic. I love to hunt, but I don't like to butcher my, I don't like to kill my own animals. Uh, I struggle with that. So I'm going to go, uh, I think I need some weekly counseling with Mr. Erickson back there. So he, he, uh, he's been shaking his head. He goes, I don't know if I can do it. So, uh, but anyway, I worried all week about the birth of these animals. I found out that yes, your pastor does worry. I tell you not to worry. And then I went ahead and all week and lost sleep over these animals being born. I was so afraid that they would die. And so I just, I didn't want them to die. And I wanted these precious little ones to be born. And uh, so anyway, so I didn't birth them. My wife did. So she jumped in and did it. So she told me it was my responsibility. Something else happened. So anyway, but uh, so I'm learning and growing just like the rest of us. And it's a blessing to do that. And it's a blessing to share the farm with everyone. So please stop by and enjoy it. <laughs> They're cute right now. Don't come in another six more months. They're not cute in six months, <laughs> but they're cute right now. I want to encourage you to come to family time. It's that. It's family time to get to spend time together, eat together. Uh, we will have a potluck downstairs. Bring a, bring a dish, and we'll share it together this, uh, this Wednesday night. We, we try to do it once a month. We'll have it cleaned up. We won't be doing a lot of dishes downstairs, uh, but we'll serve food and coffee and and uh, so that'll be all set up for us on Wednesday. And we'll get to sing and pray together. You'll get to hear what the kids are doing in, in Kids Zone in our children's ministry. And so we'll want to come and enjoy that. Well, all of that to be said, let's pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word as we take this short time to honor God and his word because his word is far more important than anything else that we do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you because it is active, it's living, it's, it's sharp. It, it knows how to cut into our lives. And it, Lord, you use it to fix the things that we don't even know that need to be fixed. It reveals our problems. And it also gives correction. It shows how to fix those problems. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We so desperately desire you to speak to us, and you have. You've given us your words that are not just dead black and white things on a piece of paper. It's alive. It's your word. Thank you that your spirit encourages us, directs us. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, not my words. Get past my stumblings and my faults, Lord, to share and to understand what you are teaching us in your word. So, Lord, we thank you for it, and we just pray that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and again, reading for the context all the way through verse 8, it says, Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and the Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of His divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you see how these qualities, these things that God has given us to exercise are important. It's amazing how many times as, a, as I've done counseling or I've just spent time with believers, we all desire to grow. We want to be better in our relationship with the Lord. We want to grow. We want to understand the Lord. And, and people are like, well, how do we do that? And how, how can I be more effective? And, and that's a common question in our lives. And many times we feel inadequate and people struggle and say, I'm so inadequate to grow in my faith and, and I need to do something. What do I do? And in that, Peter is giving us a glimpse of that which is effective and things that we need to exercise. And, and in a very, very real way, God has given us a, a picture of things we need to do and be responsible for. Like I said earlier in this series a few weeks ago, it's very interesting that God, we couldn't start our faith. God gave us faith. He called us, he, wrote, he opened up our heart, and he pricked it, and he says, you need the Lord. And, and we are then responsible in responding to that message of salvation. And when we do, he gave us, he implanted in us the very faith, and he planted in us the very thing we need for living a godly life. Did you notice that as we read, he said, when he gave us our faith, when we have attained it through the righteousness that comes by God, it is through his righteousness that we even have faith. It's not by us doing good things. It's not because we go to church or we fill our quota of Bible reading or fill our quota of talking to people in a good way. You know, hey, I talked to a lot of people in a nice way today. Now I can slip up tomorrow. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, it's like I went to the gym three times this week. Now I can eat my Twinkies, right? It doesn't work that way, right? Our faith was obtained by God's righteousness, not by our goodness. And now he says that faith that I gave you pertains everything you need in life to live in a godly way. 
all the power we need to do the right things, to do everything, has been granted to us. You see that? We, it's not been earned, it's been granted. That's pretty amazing. And then he says that we need, but now that God gave us everything, now we have a responsibility to use it. That's what Peter is telling us here. That's what we need to understand. If we're going to enjoy the life that God has given us, we have to use what God has given. And so as we look at the exercising and growing in godliness, let's backtrack and look at these things. God gave us faith. Faith brings us into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And with that faith, He wants us to step up the stair. The picture here in the writing is literally, is now that we are solidly grounded in faith, He says, now take a step up and pursue and make every effort to pursue moral excellence or virtue, some translations say. Moral excellence is seeking to mirror God's image in your life, looking at God's character and focusing on pursuing God's character. That's our goal, is not to mirror based on good character, but to mirror our life based on God's character. So we, it, it's uh, not just any character, it's God's character. Then after, the next step up is knowledge. Is, is that when we're pursuing godly character or God's character in our life, then we can pursue knowledge. Knowledge describes what God is like and what we should be like as well. So, and so we understand, if we are pursuing godly character, then the knowledge that we pursue will be right. A lot of times we hear a lot of people, the, the danger of going to seminary, and when you go off to Bible college or seminary, sometimes you get so focused on knowledge, what you know. And the knowledge becomes more important than the God who gave us the knowledge. Right? Well, you know how you keep that correct? By living out your faith, seeking God's character. So if you're doing those two things, if you're exercising your faith, you're exercising seeking God's character in your life, then the knowledge that you pursue in God's word will be the knowledge that comes from God, not based on how important you are for what you know. When as we seek God's, the knowledge of God and knowing who he is, then we exercise self-control. And when we exercise knowing who God is, then it's easier to exercise self-control. We can have self-control. It's like this. If you're not exercising your faith, you're not exercising moral excellence that's based on God's character, and you're not seeking to know who God is and seeking the knowledge of God, then guess what? It's like going to church and eating a whole bag of candy and then, and then having the jitters and saying, I just can't sit still. It's impossible to sit still. Well, duh, you just ate a whole bag of candy, right? If you sit there, how easy is it to lose control if you're sucking on sugar 24-7? Well, you might 
die of food coma eventually, but or diabetes. But the point is, is sometimes it's amazing how we choose never to exercise faith and never to exercise moral excellence or knowledge. And we say, well, how come I have no self-control? I wonder why. Sometimes I, I, I could tell everybody who was drinking coffee this morning, you were doing the jitter leg like me. So <laughs> there were some of you I was noticing have the same problem I do. After I drink too much coffee, my leg doesn't stop moving. Here's the thing. We say, why in the world do I struggle with self-control? Why can't I just have more control? Are you seeking the knowledge of God? Are you seeking in your walk with God to focus on His characteristics? Is that the mirror image you're looking at? Or are you looking at the mirror of the world? Are you exercising your faith? your trust in believing that He is your Lord, your Master, your Savior. If you do those things, then self-control is is easier. Self-control enables us to curb our physical passions, enables us to make our bodies a servant to God's will. That's the self-control that he's describing. And when we do that, guess what? We can have perseverance. We can have endurance. As you exercise the things previously that Peter is describing, he says, and add to self-control, perseverance. Perseverance enables us to endure anything while in pursuit of godly character. It helps us to endure any circumstances that no matter what circumstances are going on in your life, you can produce, pursue a godly character. Nothing's going to trip you up. Because you have self-control, because you have the knowledge of who God is, because you're seeking His character and you're patterning your life after His character and your trust of God grows through that whole process. And he says this, as we look at these things that we need to pursue, that we need to exercise, he says, now make, and he says, with steadfastness, He says, add godliness. This is what godliness is. Godliness is seeking to live out our lives to please God in all practical areas. Now, I chose some of those words specifically. Godliness is seeking to live out. It's seeking, right? Do you know the difference between a missile and a heat-seeking missile? Those of you that fly airplanes know, right? (laughs) A missile is more like, if it's not a heat-seeking missile, it's more like a mortar. You kind of give it a general direction uh, and trajectory to go, and it just goes, right? But a heat-seeking missile actually seeks out the heat, doesn't it? The idea here is a seeking. You have to look for it to live out our lives to please God? That's a big question. Are you practicing every day to seek to please God? That's, if we just stop right there, that's a humbling question. Because many times, and I have to confess, 
Many times this week, I was not seeking to please God. I was worried whether I would kill baby pigs, right? I did not want to come to church and say, they all died, right? And that would, and there was a little bit of pride there, right? I didn't want to be a failure, as my wise counselor back there told me, <laughs> right? We all, none of us want to be failures, right? And we worry and we seek a lot of different things. But how many of us can say that we are making every effort to seek to please God? And you say, well, how can I do that? Well, if you're seeking to grow your faith, you're exercising your faith, you're exercising moral excellence, patting your life after God, you're seeking to know Him more every day, and you're developing self-control, you're not letting the culture dictate your life, but you're letting that knowledge of God control your life, so that way you're doing the will of God, and you're persevering, you're exercising perseverance, and you're saying, I'm not going to give up because I know what God has for me, because I know the Lord and I'm exercising self-control. And as you do that, you have a focus, and that is to please God. All of a sudden, life doesn't become about possessions, money, life, or death. It becomes about how can I please God in all practical areas. Do you see that? All practical areas. I didn't want to just leave it with seeking to live out to please God. Practical areas. Right? How are you taking care of your body? How do you eat? How do you sleep? How do you, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I let Donald preach at me. Like I'm letting Mr. Erickson preach at me. <laughs> so here's the thing is this. Are you, how are you taking care of yourself? Are you putting more emphasis on possessions? Are you putting more emphasis on money, on, on wealth? And, and are you putting more emphasis on, on just always trying to feel good? If your emphasis is on always trying to make every situation about feeling good, guess what's going to happen? You're a prime candidate for addiction. Uh, I'm going to break it to you. Did you know that everyone here is dealing with addiction? It's called sin. It's called pride. Saying that my way is more important than God's. In all practical areas of your life, are you seeking to please God? How can we say, how can, in verse 3 it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, who called us to his glory and excellence. And he gives us his very divine nature, and we want to enjoy that relationship with God, and, and we keep saying, man, I'm struggling. And if we're honest with ourselves, it probably has to do with the fact that we are not exercising these areas in our life. By the way, did you know the term godly here, godliness, in this verse, is not used very often. Which is very interesting because it was used, it was used in the Greek area to, to talk about religion. And so it's not used very often. 
So Peter used this word to tell us that our godliness that we learn about by seeking to know God, to mirror our life after his characteristics, to trust him, that it needs to be something that we do every day. It's our responsibility. Godliness brings the sanctifying presence of our God into every experience in our life, which unleashes unleashes his power to deal with every area of your life. If we're not practicing godliness, we're not inviting God's holiness to be practical in every areas of our life. So when we don't exercise these spiritual things in our life and we say that I don't need to, I I love God, I know God, and, and we don't practice it, and we don't, it says to make every effort to practice these things. If we don't do it, we're going to struggle. Circumstances are going to overwhelm you. The storms in life are going to destroy us. The littlest of things can set us off in church rather than allowing God's holiness to dictate our worship, to dictate our life. It keeps the believer from being hard and defiant towards opponents. Or, how about this, succumbing to the temptation of mere apathetic or stoic endurance. What I mean by that is sometimes we become apathetic and we just sit and we just say, well, nothing's happening, I'm just going to sit here. And we think, oh, I'm, I'm going to endure to the end. I know I'm saved, but I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to do anything. The, when I was a youth pastor, I came to this church that had three kids in the whole church, three high school kids. There were no other kids in the church. At that time, Anise and I hadn't birthed Jared yet. But uh, it was just three kids in the whole church. Then next oldest people were 44 or 45. They were our friends. And we were 20s. They were 40s. The next oldest person was 67, 68. And then the rest of them were all in their 80s. And so I went to, we started youth group. and, and And I said, man, you guys are all bumps on the log. So I said, we're going to have this event. We're going we're gonna to do, do something different. And I advertised this event and I said, come. And they were so apathetic in church that I figured that they wouldn't even invite anybody. But a poor kid, one, they invited one friend, that poor kid. I had to take him aside. I promised I gave him a bunch of candy and pop. And <laughs> but I came and I did an apathy party. We showed up to this big party, and I just sat there and I read from the dictionary. I, I think I showed a biology video, not a reproduction video, but I showed a video about organs and, and about tissue and cellular stuff. And we sat there, and some of you might really like that kind of stuff, but these poor kids, we just sat there and we just... I talked, I did everything I could not to smile. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm a professional smiler. And I sat there and I tried everything I could just to be a bump on the log. 
And I said, this is your relationship with the Lord. You have a choice. You can be apathetic, you can be stoical, or you can enjoy the divine nature that God has given you. All the power and everything Paul prayed for in Ephesians chapter 3, that we'd enjoy with full of joy and blessings the power that God gives through that relationship with him. And I looked at those kids and I said, it's up to you whether you're apathetic or not. It's not up to the church. One kid believed me. And we started a junior high with him. I've told some of you guys this story. And, and a year later, we had 30 kids because he stopped being apathetic, stopped coming and just sitting. He actually started learning about God and enjoying his relationship with God. And he believed that what God said would happen. And he started sharing the gospel. He said, he told me this, he goes, you know, I'm already a nerd at school, so what do I have to lose? <laughs> I think he had the right outlook, right? We're all just sinners. What do you have to lose? We're all horrible anyway. And he believed God, and he shared, he said, I believe that it is my responsibility to share the gospel. And he did. Many kids got saved. It was so cool to run into one of them when I was with Raul going to Demolition Derby and I get a tap on the shoulder. Hey, Pastor Kyle, and I expected it to be one of you guys from church. And it was one of the kids we led to the Lord because of that kid's belief to exercise his faith and stop being apathetic. A godly person lives above the petty things of life. The passions and pleasures that control the lives of others. The godly man, the, the one that exercises godliness, that man, that woman seeks to please the Lord, to do the will of God. And when they do that, they rise above all the silly things and their joy increases. That's biblical godliness. This character trait distinguishes the true believer from many Many of the ungodly false teachers we see today. It was discussed by Matthew when he, when God, when Jesus went after the Pharisees and the Sadducees for just being religious and not actually being godly. James chapter 1, when he says, guys, many of you are not really being religious, you're not being godly. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which was yours in your ignorance, but be like the Holy One who has called you, and be yourself holy in all of your behavior. We may say we worship God on Sunday, but the question is, is what is your Monday like? Right? Let's go a step further. What's your Sunday night like? Right? Usually it's me falling asleep. <laughs> That's the real question. Godliness is living one's life in a conscience presence of the holiness of God. 
True spiritual knowledge gives us the means of growth, the means of discernment, the urgency that will constrain our behavior and make us to live godly. Biblical godliness necessitates effort on our part. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 tells us, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline. It's an imperative, by the way. It's a present imperative. You know what that means in English terms? It means that it's a, it's a command that you're supposed to continually do. Present at any moment in your life. Notice that while it's our responsibility to discipline ourselves, it's God's provision that allows us to be godly. Isn't that cool? That God provided the means to do it. It also must be, not only it necessitates effort on our part, but it must be pursued. 1 Timothy chapter 6, again, it says, flee from these things, he says in verse 11, but pursue righteousness and godliness. Pursue, again, present imperative. So flee ungodliness, pursue godliness both something we're supposed to do consciously every day pursue means to follow or press hard after with earnestness and eagerness to diligently obtain biblical godliness necessitates our effort on our part we have to give it effort we have to pursue it but here's the problem it can be faked Many forms of godliness, quote-unquote, can be faked. 2 Timothy 3.5, it says, Watch out for those who hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Here's the thing, guys. You can, on the outward shell, look godly, but you are denying the divine power that God has given you. Beware, it can be faked. That is the thing. What makes false teachers so dangerous that is that they manifest a form of godliness and it appears to be good and godly. But the more you dig, the more you realize it is not. They are not godly at the core. How do you know? Because you can watch their life. What are they like Monday? What are they like Tuesday? What are they like? There was a Baptist preacher from a predominant conservative, once conservative denomination that said that those who are correcting people for their false teaching are worse than people who are watching porn. And here's the thing. His view of godliness is so skewed. It has nothing compared to who God is. You see, you got to watch out because being good can be faked, but real godliness is something that's lived out every moment of every day. Are you pursuing to please God? Or are you just seeking to please your own fleshly desires? That's the question of the week. Are you exercising these things? 
add godliness to it. Faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. And in that godliness, are you seeking to please God in every avenue of your life? You want to unlock the strength that God provides for you? Practice them. And watch what God does in your life. Watch the joy. Watch the peace return in your life. And the sin to be pushed away. And the joy of the Lord that comes. You will no longer seek to fulfill your life by sinful things and desires. But all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. What are you pursuing today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the picture that you gave us in Christ. I pray that today, more than anything, that we would all ask ourselves that question. Am I seeking to please God today? Or am I letting the circumstances of my life dictate me? Lord, we are never promised. Lord, you never promised that life would be easy. And Lord, some of us are struggling so bad. And and you never said that it was sinful to struggle. You just said it was sinful not to rely on you. Lord, we need you. There are those I know that need you, and Lord, that they are struggling. But Lord, you promised to keep our feet above water, or our head above water, through your power, your strength, that we can persevere. We can be self-controlled. We can enjoy knowing who you are that we can pursue godliness for the right reasons, not to be religious, but to live out your will in our life, to please you. May, Lord, that you would just help any of us that are struggling to please you. Maybe we're not just struggling to please you, but we're just struggling because the things of the world are hard. I pray that if there's someone here that is struggling, they'd realize that you are everything that they need. And that if we put our faith and trust in you, you said in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You told us, Lord, not to lean on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge you and you would direct our paths. You would make our paths straight. And Lord, the imagery there is to take us through the problem so that way we can be safe on the other side. So, Lord, if there's someone here that's struggling, that they'd realize that, Lord, you will carry them through to the other side the more they they seek you. Lord, may all of us seek you with all our heart. Seek to please you, to honor you, to worship you, to say that you are more important than all of our circumstances in life. To stop trusting money and things, possessions, power, pride, that we just trust you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of our sin, for dying on the cross, being that gift, that sacrifice to satisfy our sin in the Father's eyes. I pray, Lord, that right now, if someone hasn't responded to that gift, that they hadn't, they say, Lord, yes, I'm a sinner. I need you. Would you save me? 
If they haven't done that, that they would do that this morning before they leave. As we stand and as we sing and as we proclaim that, Lord, someone would just pray and just give their life to 